And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here as today's host of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-com, Amazon, entrepreneurship, um, you name it. Today's episode is called How Effective is Pay-Per-Click? We're going to get right to it. Uh, and as always, before I introduce today's guest, um, who's also a personal friend, um, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Um, today's guest is calling in from Miami. Shan, welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I think we've met in so many different places. I didn't know exactly where you were, um, you know, always bumping into each other at events. Um, and today going to be not only representing um, Trivium, who's been a great partner of Marknology at events and uh, a lot of speaking different events and a personal friend in Mina, but also your own company as well. Is that correct? Yes. Millennials in Motion. I also have a brand. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk about that. So let's get, as always on the show, I love getting into knowing the guest and letting my listeners know who exactly is giving this advice or who's who's bouncing stuff back with me. So let's get to know you a little bit. Um, you know, before there's Trivium, um, you obviously have your own brand. I think that was started before that. And before that, how'd you find e-commerce? Um, so born in China. Can we start there? Yeah. Can we start all the way back? Sure. Yeah, I was born okay. in a really rural area of China where like there was no like plumbing or electricity definitely no meat you could not get meat there even if you had money and uh um it's very simple life but I lived there until I was six with my grandparents and then I moved to civilization moved to this okay so it was uh, a little jarring so where'd you move where so at six years old you moved to the U.S. I moved to Albuquerque but then wow. eventually I moved to to Canada. So I'm Canadian. Okay. Lived in Vancouver most of my life until the last eight years where I decided to shoot for the stars and uh, live in San Francisco and Miami. Okay, I love it. I'm Canadian as well. I'm a dual citizen. So um, I grew up in Africa until I was 16 and then moved here uh, to Kansas City. So probably as shocking as Albuquerque in a lot of ways. Uh Kansas City and now you're shooting for the stars I love that um I have some notes here about San Francisco but let's talk about that move so you moved from Vancouver to San Francisco um what was that move about was it just you know to switch up careers or was it chasing a job you know what how'd you make the move um into the U.S. I always felt like I wanted to move out of Canada also because it's kind of cold up there but yes. um and I, it was really good timing because I had just won the global startup battle. It's by Techstars, one of the big accelerators. And I know Techstars very well. Okay, so let's get into the details here because you just said I'm shooting for the stars and moving to San Francisco without saying anything about 
uh, winning an award with a startup. So where does that startup come into play? Yeah, it was a 3D printing startup where we helped artists um, launch their products into 3D models because it's a very, very difficult process. It costs thousands and thousands of dollars, but we kind of did it like one-stop shop. But it didn't work out. (laughs) We still won the award though. And like judges like Damon John from Shark Tank and Nas, the rapper, they uh, picked picked my startup. So it was really nice to win that that competition against like 25,000 entrepreneurs. Um, And then I thought, hey, I should go to San Francisco and just like, break into the startup scene so i got a visa from a tech firm that hired me to run their business development and um at the same time i was doing both jobs (laughs) and trying to make it in san francisco okay i love that thank you i love more details the better so okay so you move from vancouver um you get a visa or sponsored by a company to to work with them in their business development um partnerships what like tech was it it like what were you what were you working on at that point generally so we would help businesses like fortune 500s to run their websites in it we launched websites like advil.com viagra.com visitcalifornia.com so um, i'm basically it consulting firm I got it. Okay. IT can just be so broad. And I, I have a degree in computer science, uh, networking and security has nothing to do with e-commerce. Yeah. Uh, but it's definitely like where I started out when I was pursuing, um, you know, having a computer science degree, there was like three degrees at the time. So you got to choose, you know, there wasn't a lot of options. Um, now I feel like there's a plethora of options. Okay. So you're, you're working in San Francisco in a startup scene. Um, for me, like, you know, if I thought about startup or entrepreneurship, I would have definitely thought of San Francisco or something like that. Definitely not Kansas City. We do have a tech stars here in Kansas City, which is pretty cool. I got to meet Lisa. Um, she's an amazing woman and has done a lot in the Bay Area, I think, too, as well. Um, okay, but now you're in e-com. So how do we go from, you know, working in business development to starting your own brand and now working um uh, in it for an advertising company that focuses on Amazon brands. Like how did that transition happen? I guess it's been over the last eight years, right? Um, you know, what, what made you kind of migrate into those roles? Yeah. So I got, I started watching this YouTube channel called Graham Steven, which is okay. about like passive income and money management. And I, st- in 2019, and I got really into the idea of passive income because I realized that with a typical job, you work really, really, really hard and you climb up the ladder to VP, but then once you get to VP, you're going to work even harder. So you're just always working hard, harder and harder and harder forever. And I didn't like that because, you know, as a woman, you know, maybe one day I'll have kids. I would love to hang out with those kids. So I would rather do the opposite, which is work really, really hard now and then work less hard in the future because the income is passive. So then I started thinking, okay, how can I create passive income? And I really felt like it was going to be e-commerce. Um, and then I started watching YouTube channels like Tatiana James, another Canadian. And I knew that I wanted to launch an e-commerce company. I just didn't know what product until 2020 hit. And I decided to do face masks. Okay. I love that. I want to know more. Uh, number one, number two, something very similar. Um, I'm in Kansas city for that very reason. I think, um, 
not free commerce, but just that idea of passive income. And for me, this has been my home base. Anytime I traveled overseas, like as a kid coming back, this is where the family was, um, you know, actually moved away, got married, divorced, came back. Um, just a place to regroup, heart of the country, um, has a lot of pros. One of them being real estate uh, and the cost of real estate here is much lower than a lot of areas in the country, yet capacity is at 99% and the city is booming um, in tech. And we were the first to get Google Fiber. Lots of different reasons why Kansas City does well, but it just doesn't really get hit in, um, you know, with the economy. High highs and low lows, it kind of just stays medium, uh, medium and growing. And so that's something that's not on the coast. We don't get hit by that much weather. Um, real estate is doing very well. Speaking of passive income, as someone in e-com, uh, you know, what happens if Amazon goes away? What happens if, you know, you get passes an agency? What happens if you're, you get kids and you want to spend time with them? What happens if your health starts failing you? Um, you know, what else do you have to depend on? And for me, that was real estate and, and a big reason why I'm here in the Midwest. So align goals in that regard. Um, the other one being e-commerce. Uh, I was reading a blog that actually is why I found, uh, I started freelancing in e-com and built the company I have, it was talking about passive income and it was talking about um, doubling down on a skill in your other, in your free time or your second job, or your third job that benefits the first one. And so for me, that was like, okay, instead of going to bartending or instead of doing something completely different, which is usually what I like to do, I'm ADHD. I'm like, I wanna do a bunch of different things. Um, I started freelancing on Upwork and Upwork turned into Marknology that is today. Uh, so similar train of thought, similar path of thought to get you where you are today. And I was just resonating with that. I think that's pretty cool. Canadians, passive income. Here we are in e-com, um, you know, talking about what we've done. How'd you end up on face masks? Was it something that like, you know, 2020, we all spin it differently. I think a lot of people spin it differently. If you're in California, I know you're in Miami now. Big difference between California and Florida and the way that the pandemic happened and kind of just like, the energy around uh, the people there. I, I visited both places and it's completely different. Um, you know, a lot of people had time to think that they were working remote, maybe sometimes from home for the first time. Um, and a lot of great ideas. And I think even great music, we were talking about music earlier, a lot of great music came out during that time when people were really innovating. Um, were you doing research? Was it something you were using yourself? Was it like, how'd you come across your first product idea? It was just nobody had face masks. It was like March or April in San Francisco, and nobody had them. Maybe they had surgical masks, but even that was hard to find. And um, the demand was so obvious. And it's just so rare in a lifetime where you get that much obvious demand. Um, so I knew that I had to do face masks. Plus, it was small. Plus, it was lightweight. Plus, it was cheap. Um, and therefore I talked to my, my family who works on import export to chat with the factories in, in China and see if we could get some really good quality ones, you know, the ones that are nice and designer and have zippers and stuff. And I was okay. able to get them two weeks to my door. And that really helped wow. launching in April early in the pandemic when everybody needed it. Yeah, because I was getting blown up as an agency to work with uh, manufacturers that were switching to masks or people that could get access to them or, you know, whatever the case might be. There's a certain number of protocols you had to jump through to sell on Amazon if you were selling a certain type of mask and um, forget all the abbreviations for all those agencies. But it was, you know, we got several of them approved. It was big plays, but most of them took too long to really capitalize on the demand. Um, 
you know, convenient for you to have moved at six to still have a relationship with family that works in import export. Uh, you were just set up, you were set, set up to win. Um, I love that. And was, was it an Amazon business or was it a website business? Like what was your first go-to in e-com? It was actually Etsy because Amazon, okay. like you said, had, they didn't want to profit from the pandemic. So you couldn't launch face masks. I actually figured out that all you had to do was not call them face masks. As long as you call them just mask, then you can launch whatever you want. And not only will they let you launch it, they'll also shoot you up to the first page because the demand was so insane. But I first launched on Etsy. Etsy did not have any of those problems um, because, you know, they're like a handmade artsy store. So they like selling um, you know, products like that. And it did really well. I think in th 90 days, I was able to do 10K per month. That's amazing. Um, that's absolutely amazing. And also another thing we have in common, one of my very first brands, Landlocked, which is an apparel company here in Kansas City. Um, I like was tweeting and I actually went viral. I didn't even know how to tweet at the time, but I just happened to get retweeted by a big blog. And I was only selling on Etsy at the time. And uh, my Etsy account went crazy. Uh, I think I had three or 400 sales uh, and it wasn't during a pandemic. So three or 400 sales of my item, I was just kind of tinkering with uh, like in a weekend. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, even before I was as headstrong about Amazon as I was now, Etsy was, it was an easier place to get started. And I still recommend it to a lot of people because um, it's built more for the seller and the maker than it is for the customer. Uh, not that it's not built for both, but it's just designed differently. You don't have to have white background photos and you don't have to go through all this, um, paperwork, I guess, if you're selling certain types of products to get through, excuse me. Okay. So we're moving along. Well, okay. So I'm, I'm starting to get your story here now, whether I'm picking it out or not. Okay. So you did face masks. Um, but we talked earlier about like women's clothing. Was that, was the face mask the first move and then you pivoted since then? Or is it just something that's kind of continued to evolve from that first product into, into different products as well now? Where are you at now? So one of the, I, I say that face mask, my first launch was the easy part. That was the easy game. The hard game was uh, launching my second product, which is trying to find a sustainable product that isn't dependent on the pandemic. And yeah. I tried so many different things. I tried retail bags. That was a fail. I tried lingerie. That was a fail. And uh, I ultimately settled on on clothing, especially um, except like socks and tights. And not okay. so much actual clothing like dresses because that was also a fail um, because dresses are very – any clothing for women is very fickle when it comes to sizing. I still struggle with it, actually, with socks and tights, but not as bad as with clothes. Let's talk about that for a second, um, because I think there's nuggets in all of this. Um, I brought 18 pieces of clothing, uh, women's dresses, uh, like probably 2020, 2021. I had met... Um, a client we work on another brand he goes to india often he had some high-end designers that design for like the biggest women's designers in la and miami and um you know he's like we can recreate these we can create our own with these types of designs and patterns and like make some cool stuff and i just love fashion um so i was like you know women's fashion i work with my sisters uh it wasn't something i was trying to do on my own as a man but was trying to do it along with them and um we actually said no you know we got samples we got edits we got second samples back and just like you said called it a fail and moved on quickly but for me that was like several months in the works of getting that there 
and again, it was sizes. It was um, such a difficult thing to do. Uh, you know, we didn't try to sell it and then got bad reviews and whatever. I just knew we were getting into something that we weren't ready for in regards to all the different, uh, the particular things that kind of go into women's clothing to make them fit the hips right or fit the legs right or fit the the chest right or the shoulders or, you know, there's so many different um, nuances to really designing well. And something that in the other areas of product development on Amazon or whatever, just simply aren't there. Um, but so tights, uh, socks, I think this is also some of the reason uh, Amazon fashion has like the fashion category to me is still wide open. Actually, I think it's completely wide open. I don't think anyone's really doing it well other than like people selling very basic items, uh, you know, on, on Amazon. Um you talked about fail, 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 fail. For me, that was like I ordered samples and decided not to go with it and said like, ah, let's, I've invested time, but I hadn't invested that much money. On some of those things that you were trying, um, were those things that you brought them over and couldn't get them to sell? Or like, you know, what does fail mean exactly there? It means that the market didn't want the product and it was too difficult to make it work. Like, um, you know, when I launch a product, 20% succeed and 80% fail. And it's so obvious which ones succeed. Like you'll get really good click-through rate. You'll get really good conversion rates and you'll grow, right? Whereas with products that are an 80% dud, they just don't grow. You know, you're pumping in tons of paper click and it's not turning into sales. You're bleeding money. Uh, you're getting bad reviews. It's just, you just don't see the growth. And, and that's where I feel like, um, I had to pivot and, and find how much just for our listeners out there, like how much would you invest, like not time, just like, you know, is, are you ordering like by samples? Are you ordering like, you know, feeling very strongly about the products or is it like, let me get a small box of, of these items or these items. And like, let's see if they test, if the customers like them, or is it something that like you go into and you're like, wow, we spent 5,000, we spent 10,000 on that. Let's pivot and try something else. What's your kind of some of your methodology for like trying a, a product category or a product type and then and knowing quickly whether it's a, a, a 20, the part of the 20% or part of the 80%? I work extremely lean and that's with my advertising spend and with my purchases. I really don't purchase more than 20 to 50 pieces per product and I launched them on Etsy first because it's very correlated with Amazon. Like, if you launch them on Etsy and it's obvious it's 20, top 20%, then it's also going to be a top 20% on Amazon. Um, so I would launch on Etsy, spend a tiny bit of ad spend with Etsy, like $5, $10 a day kind of thing. Um, and then once I figured out if it's a top 20 winner, then I would spend the big paper click bucks on Amazon. And that really saved me from a lot of bleeding on Amazon. I love that. And I think that's an amazing strategy and a big tip. If anyone's listening to this, like that's actually a golden nugget. Um, one other thing I would say is that, you know, being in the space 12 years, what I've seen is it's a mixture of product demand. It's a mixture of timing. It's a mixture of, is it uh, demand generation or demand capture? Like, are you like trying to tell people about something that they don't even know they need and you need to educate? Or is it something that's like everybody wants and you're the one that has dope mass? And so you're capturing that demand that's already there. Um, is it something that I'm trying to, uh, through your images or your, uh, your images or your content, uh, you're misselling or misrepresenting the product? Are you missing the right target customer? Sometimes that can be the difference in uh, you know, a product taking off or not. Is For us, it's been 
getting the photography right, the content right, helping people understand what they're buying or where they're buying it or, you know, things like that. I think um, some products are super visual uh, and some products are, you know, I've had amazing products that we can't get sales to go, but every time it's a five-star review. Um, and it's like, look, when people get this product in their hands, they love it, uh, but I can't get it in enough people's hands. And so that also makes it a dud in a different kind of way. Uh, but it's definitely one that you're like, okay, how do I get the price point right? How do I get, because uh, it can be price point, it can be any number of things, right, to know if it's a dud or not. And for me, sometimes that um, that knowing that if I get that right or I make this little change, we can make turn it into a 20% can be some of my difficulty, at least as a as a consultant, as a, a brand builder to be like, is this one I should move on from? Or is this one that I continue to tweak to try to get it right? Um, but I love your methodology for Etsy. And it's one I probably don't think enough of is treating it like a launch platform um, in a lot of ways. If it can do well there, it can do, it can do well in the, in the bigger market. Another thing would be, um, you're talking about Etsy and saturation and like you're in this product category where not a lot of people have it. For me, international expansion on Amazon has been one of those things where um, we take a product in the US and it's just like hard to make a splash. We take it to Canada, we take it to Amazon Australia, the product does really great um, out the gate. So um, depending on who I'm working with, is it someone I've got a lot of trust with or I've been building a lot of relationship with them and they know we have like kind of a chemistry together. Um, we might try to launch a product in an, in a foreign market first, actually, just to know with very little ad spend and, you know, very little investment, we can essentially see, okay, this is going to be a successful product or not. Let's invest a lot in the U S market. Um, but I might have to bring Etsy back to the drawing board a little bit as T as treating it as one of those. Um, okay. So you moved into socks and leggings. Um, and so you're a site that, and this was all on, um, we've talked about Etsy and Amazon, but you have a website as well, D2C Play, right? Yes, I also have a Shopify store. Okay. And that, is that, that is that one that you actively grow? You know, in the Amazon community, I just simply ask this for like, you know, not to make assumptions, but in the Amazon community, a lot of times the D2C side is, is ignored or they're not equally building on multiple platforms. Um, you come into the industry a little bit different than through just the Amazon channels and you're like, I want to do e-com. And, um, you know, starting on Etsy is even outside Amazon. Is it one that your web play has always been just as important as the marketplaces or, or, you know, where do you live on in that spectrum? I wish it was. I really, really do. But the problem with selling on Shopify is I don't have the golden, um, golden nugget of Amazon pay-per-click. You know, Amazon pay-per-click is really just a godsend to launch products and get sales. And Shopify, I mean, I tried using influencers, but the problem when you're selling like sexy tights is that when you find girls who wear them and would look great in them, their followers are men, like creepy men. So like um, I tried to launch a TikTok following and it was all guys that followed me. It was like, and I didn't even show my face. I literally just showed my legs and uh, it was just all guys who don't buy them, right? Whereas I need women followers who buy these products. So I kind of really slowed down the Shopify. I wish I could crack it somehow, but so far I've focused mostly on Amazon. I think it does come down to um, 
product selection, like what we're selling, right, uh, to the content that goes with it? And then is it influencer marketing or is it branded marketing? And that's something that I'm spending a ton of time to just research and understand. Um, I've recently worked with a $80 million, we're still working with them. Uh, they do about 80 million a year in jewelry sales, okay, through all different channels. Um, watches, they have a huge collection of product. And um, some people might know that are listening to this, but I don't want to name them just in case, just for a little bit of protection. But they essentially um, were very novel in that they sold women's jewelry to men in magazines. So it was actually airline magazines targeted towards men to buy as gifts for their ladies. Um, and that was just a very interesting play. They were like kind of the first to do that. Um, and I'm not sure... Uh, that that can work with every brand by any means. But this was one that a jewelry company kind of took the lead on, built like a, a massive empire on and trying to repurpose that for e-com because it was a catalog-ish type of business, if that makes sense. They call in, they make this order, you know, they sell them that thing. Um, but it can be, you know, different channels for different products. And, and another lesson I've learned recently on the D2C side is specifically, we have a brand like, do you know what Blender Bottle is? Like the the brand that's like you have a bottle and it blends it with you on the go like you know it's battery powered or something like that so you can just like blend up your shake yeah at the gym. i see their ads a lot okay so blender bottle this is the competitor to them uh, a big uk brand that's like making their push into the us they're like number two compared to blender bottle so um and they've always struggled on the d2c side and it's it's this thought that no one goes to the gnc or the supplement store to get a blender bottle, uh, but they will go there to get vitamins or to get their supplement powder or the protein powder or you know whatever the case might be. And on their way out, grab a blender bottle while they're there. Um, and so that type of product being amazing for Amazon, but not so great for D2C because no one's going just to get that blender bottle, so to speak. And so how many different products can apply to that where the item that you're selling is like an accessory item um, less than it is like, let's say socks, for example. Okay, so a lot of times, when I pick up socks, if we're looking at me as an example, I go to Nordstrom Rack uh, and I'm trying to find a shirt or some shorts or there's specific items there that I like to get. It's pretty much like Nike shorts uh, or a Nike hoodie or something. That's just like I'm adding another pair to the gym routine. But why I'm there, I almost always go and get a fresh pair of socks. Okay, so I wouldn't go there just to get socks by any means, but it's an item that I'm like, why I'm here, I know they have good socks selection. I can grab three, six pair for a couple of bucks, much cheaper than buying them. Let's say I'm not going to go to their website and buy from Nordstrom uh, to buy a pair of socks, but I'll get it when I go to get the shorts, so to speak. Um, and I think that that's a lot of items. When you think about that D to C side, that website play, would people come to your store just to get your item? Is your item more of an item that goes, someone's coming to get something else and they pick it up on the way out. So Hopefully that made sense to a little, a few of you, a few of the listeners, but um, understanding what kind of product you're selling, how to get to that target audience that you've got. And I think that's why a lot of influencer accounts, TikTok accounts, et cetera, have gone that way of like, if it's a woman influencer selling product, it's been like almost like um, not inclusive of men because they want to try so hard to not have those men followers that they almost like want to man hate a little bit. Because they're like, I just literally don't want men following my account. I want to build a women's brand. And so they go so far to one way or the other because it's just really hard to get that targeting right. Um, it's something I'm still trying to crack. So as we talk about trying to crack that nut, um, you know, still trying to figure out what products 
you know, should we invest in email marketing? Should we invest in SMS? Should we invest in TikTok ads? Should we invest in influencer marketing? Or is this one that's like, let's put all of our focus into Amazon, um, you know, which has been the go-to for many of years. And as we come on the, like the last 20 minutes of the show, let's, let's talk about a little bit about PPC. And um, you talked about it being like, hey, I, Amazon is such a big part of what I do, even Etsy, being able to turn on ads a little bit. Um, how important is it to like, you know, one, validating a product and knowing it's going to be a winner. And then two, just like, you know, continuing to grow that product or, or be able to get eyeballs on it. Yeah, and that's where the testing comes in, right? Um, and and one strategy is, is use Etsy. There's other strategies, I'm sure, out there. Um, and once you figure that out, then it just comes to scaling. And I personally use pay-per-click to scale. It's been um, fun, actually, to do it and quite straightforward. I always say that when you're launching a product, you know, 60 percent of the heart of whether it'll succeed or not is really the product like is it a good product the market wants um and then the other 40 percent is the execution which is mm. like doing really good ppc ads and you know having really good customer service and you know all the branding looks great and the reviews are great i that's 40 percent, but that 40 percent is the easier part because you can either do it yourself or you could hire someone to do it, right? There's lots of great people that you could hire to do that. But the hard part Children. is the product, getting the product right. I love it. As an agency owner, that's also an investor. That's also, you know, I've got equity in 19 projects now um, that are my own internal brands. Um, so quite a few. And what I've learned is that I don't love the conversations with, with China. I don't love the conversations with manufacturers. I don't love the conversations with... Latin American manufacturers, that detailed nuance of getting the samples, being super OCD about it to get the product right. And I would rather partner with those creators, those makers that have a great product and then need a great, need that 40% from a team, you know? And that's what I've kind of, even as someone that wants to run my own brands, I found and discovered that that's what I love. Um, I love joining the project when someone has gone through that work to have something that they really believe in and that they have an amazing product. And then it's like, okay, I'm here. Let me help where I'm best. Um, you know, because I, and, and I meet tons of Amazon sellers that are like, they love the sourcing part. They don't love the storytelling. They don't love the content. They don't love pushing it out there. They don't love all that human interaction. They want to just like develop something great. Um, let's talk about like PPC. You talked about if you have an effective PPC strategy or you have an effective PPP partner, PPC partner, um, what does effective PPC even mean? And what does that look like? One is having a good strategy. And then two, it's really, I think, um, attention, right? Some people I know, including me, <laughs> they look at their PPC, you know, once a week or two weeks or rarely, but really you should be looking at it every day if you want to really hone in on that A cost and cut down um, on profit while also scaling up at the same time. So it's strategy and attention. I think you're exactly right. I have a couple more things I want to get into, but first, finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. So 
I know you're a big fan of PPC. I know it's been working well for you so far. You work at a PPC agency uh, with Trivium. And Mina, I know he's one of the best in the game at what he does. We approach things a little bit differently uh, in regards to PPC, but very much similar in regards to strategy and, and how we do it. Um, you know, I was working on Amazon in 2015 already for, I guess now, four years before PPC came to Amazon. Um, it was an absolute, like, I mean, sluggers fest when it came out and just like the cost of it was so low and, you know, through the years, everything has gotten harder. It's gotten more difficult. You need more attention. And, you know, me and Mina went together uh, at the Selling Scale Summit in Vegas. And we had a big, uh, you know, we had a big slogan on the back of our booth. I don't know if you've seen it or remember it, but mine was like, don't let your sister's cousin's friend, you know, create your content. Uh, and, and Trivium side of it was like, and don't let a robot run your PPC. And uh, we were just trying to be a little bit not offensive, but just a little bit eye catching, a little bit attention grabbing for people to stop and look at it and either laugh and chuckle or, you know, hate on it or comment or come and talk to us, whatever. And I think the job, the job got done. Um, but my point of bringing that up is because the PPC needs a lot of attention, daily attention, and you need to be looking at it all the time. A lot of people have moved toward a software or a robot, so to speak. Um, that makes those changes and looks at that for them because they don't want to. They want to go design the next bikini. They want to go design their next product. They want to be on the beach. They they built this company to have passive income, whatever the case, the reasoning might be. Um, but to continue to have that, to, to grow it, to be successful, it's like you got to do what you don't want to do. And that is, um, you know, I think people have overcorrected when it came to, okay, I want someone to look at this every day. I want to have a robot. I want to have a software look at my, my stuff. Um, and that is that checkbox is checked when someone chooses like a software to, to run their PPC. But that's only half of the job. Um, that daily checkup, that like making sure thing, the bids move around. You still need that human aspect of, of paying attention to what's happening in there. What are customers searching? What exact search terms are they typing in when they find your product? Are they typing in women's leggings? Are they typing in black women's leggings? Are they typing in white women's leggings? Are they typing in... Uh, leggings for lean women are they typing in uh like you know um recyclable or eco-friendly you don't know what people are searching unless you're like paying a lot of attention to your advertising um and really having a strategy that says how am i going to make this i'm paying for a click i'm literally exchanging um money to get eyeballs on my product so i'm paying for that this is something i need to pay attention to it can't be outside out of mind not just what am i spending but how am i spending it what customers deserve me to spend the most on them? Who's going to bring back the most value? Um, am I convincing people to buy that are then going to return it? And so I'm reaching the wrong customer. So many people go and get sales from the wrong search terms that then come back and turn into returns. And that, that straight line is rarely ever drawn. Um, but I just know that if you sell well, you can people can have buyer's remorse right? If you oversell. So you're not trying to, to make those things happen. You're trying to find the perfect customer that's made for the product that you have. That's going to love it and enjoy it um, when they get it. So I, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole there, but I think that that point of um, need to be a human, you need to be a real person, whether it's you or someone you're hiring to check out your advertising and set up your strategy and intentionality, and then have great tools to then help that user, um, get the job done before we wrap up. I got a couple of questions for you. One would be, you know, where can people like one interact with your brand or two follow you specifically at, at Trivium or on LinkedIn 
Um, and then secondly, what's something um, you're working on as an individual that you're excited about in the new year, uh, you know, for your business, your career, your development, um, and then something um, in your role at Trivium that you're excited about that's like, you know, coming up that the team's focused on or something like that. So three part question. One, where can people contact you, find you, follow you? And then the next two being something you're personally working on and something you're working on within your role. Yeah. So um, they can reach out to me at Shan at TriviumCo.com. Um, and also, I actually have a free gift. <laughs> um, okay. If you, if you are an Amazon seller and I can get my engineers to do a 30-minute video, film a video of them going through your uh, your PPC account and giving you free advice, like telling you exactly what to change, what's working, what's not, where the opportunities they haven't, you know, um, capitalized yet. And it'll be like very specific, very comprehensive. There's, we have no secrets, you know, we tell you exactly what to do. Um, so if you just email me, I can definitely get my engineers to help you with that. Um, and then, do I need to mention a code or anything like that? Or just send you an email and say, hey, I heard you on Startup Hustle. I'd love to get in on it. Yeah, just send me an email. Okay. That's it. Okay. Um, and then what am I excited about? I am trying to meet other e-commerce founders um, because I just love to build community. I did that in San Francisco in the tech community, and now I'm going to do it in commerce. I'm going to host a series of dinners for e-commerce founders at the Soho House in Miami here. And then probably in New York as well, because they also have a Soho house there. And, you know, anywhere where, where there's a Soho house, you know, hit me up, email me. Okay. We okay. could just get like three other founders, because at Soho house, you can only bring in three people. So if okay. we can get like three in any city where there's a Soho house, I will fly there and, and uh, set Ooh, it up. Okay, that, that's an offer for yeah. sure. So I, I just really like people and I want to chat with them and eat with them and have fun. And I'm also throwing, and then with Trivium, um, Trivium, we love also to throw events. We just did a big one in LA at a, this huge mansion. You were there, Andrew. I was there. I was there. Um, I had so much fun. We had like 120 people RSVP'd, all like seven, eight, nine digit sellers um hang out and with a you know wonderland theme so we're doing another one probably in april so if you'd like an invite to that um also email me <laughs> i love it um events on events on events um in the best way those sound like a ton of fun and um i like the intimate ones where you just get to know people and like really see what they're about and what drove them to build what they've built or be who they are um, that's the kind of stuff that gets me excited and inspired. And, um, so thanks for sharing your story, sharing your journey. I think it's the first of many conversations. I feel like I know you much better already, um, than the several times we've met before, just, just knowing what you're about and what you're working on and, um, you know, what you're excited for, uh, goes a long way. So you guys know, um, she, she gave her contact information, um, here on the show, but I'll have all of that in the footnotes of the show on the podcast. So if you guys miss that or you're driving, um, you can look it up on Spotify or Apple iTunes or wherever you're listening and, and see her contact information there so you can get in contact. Um, super excited uh, 
for what's next for Trivium. I, I know big things are coming. We're working with Mina to make some of those things happen. And I'm excited about it. Um, shout out again to our sponsor um, for making this this podcast a, a free podcast, full of value for you guys. Um, Fullscale.io is an absolutely amazing company. If you're looking to outsource any of your development um, and find someone that can join your team permanently, um, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, let Fullscale help. Um, they have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit Fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and then let the platform match you up with fully vetted, high experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders at Fullscale. They specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit Fullscale.io. Um, even if you're not looking for developers and you just professional curiosity, Check out Fullscale.io. Um, what they've built with their team and resources as a service provider is super cool. They've got animations. They've got meet the teams. You get to kind of see who you'll be working with or like, um, you know, about that person before you even reach out. So it's like it's a really cool system even just to check out for yourself. Um, thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Um, as always, appreciate your time and attention. Uh, and Shan, thank you so much for sharing your story, um, value, uh, the offer to audit any of the Amazon sellers accounts. I hope you get overwhelmed, uh, with the emails and the team is saying, Hey, we got to be careful when we do that next time. So, so you can't do it so freely. Um, thanks for being on the show. And I know, uh, I'm trying to come to one of those dinners as soon as possible. All right. Great. We'd love to have you. All right. Well, enjoy the sunshine. Um, and we'll see you next time guys. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.